Welcome back to a new episode of our Gilmore Girls podcast, Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Gilmore Girls is the coffee and we're the shot of cynicism. I'm Jeffrey and this is my co-host, Eleno. Oh, good Lord. I was like, why is he letting me speak? And then I knew. Because your new name is Eleno. <laughs> yeah, so this week I signed an email that contained a grant application. Eleno instead of Eleni. <laughs> and that's her new name. And, uh, you know, when you click send it, you're like, oh, no, come back. <laughs> like that episode of Modern Family where, where Gloria says, like, it's sanded. Please come back. God. I was just like, eh, whatever. They'll figure it out. I, I fluctuated all day between it's fine, like, they're not really paying attention. And, like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm an idiot. I can't even spell my own name. Did you debate, like, sending another email saying, hi, sorry, my name's not Eleno? No. Okay. Because I feel, I felt like that was like too crazy. Yeah, it would have been. I think. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I have to send you an email to tell you that I misspelled my name when the first time around you could have missed it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm gonna say like, there's a good chance they didn't notice. <sighs> Hopefully. Cause... And if they did, they'd probably just be like, oh, whatever. Like, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Ugh, I don't know about that. But anyways, so that was the <laughs> highlight of my week. <laughs> Actually, no, that wasn't the full highlight of your week. Tell them what the other highlight was. I don't know what you're talking about. That you found the love of your life. (sighs) I did. She's beautiful. (laughs) And who is she? I'm sorry, I'm fantasizing. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, I love her so much. Please. Wait! (laughs) Breathe in between. Her name is Brooklyn Heights. Mm. Are you thinking like a, a December wedding? No. <laughs> thinking of whatever she'll have me wedding. Oh my god. <laughs> and you know what I just realized? We both live in the same city now, bitches. Boom! True. And she's going to be a judge on the upcoming Canada's Drag Race. But can I just say I love her so much? Please, why don't you just why don't you tell them all who we're talking about in case no, they don't know who Brooklyn Heights is? So Brooklyn Heights is a contestant was a contestant on season eleven of RuPaul's Drag Race, and um, she's Canadian. Mm-hmm. And my discovery came when she performed in a lip sync extravaganza. Yes. Against someone else who I don't fucking care for. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Not in this fantasy, okay? <laughs> okay, all right. Even though she won, but whatever. They both won. No, no. She won oh, this okay. season. Okay, I thought you were talking about the lip sync. Yeah, sorry, whatever. Yeah, but fuck it. I don't care. We'll talk about whatever Drag Race opinions after. Okay. I'm ruined my fantasy right now. Oh, okay. Whatever. I saw this lip sync performance, and I immediately text Jeffrey. And I was like... How do I get her? <laughs> First of all, uh, she's a man, but... Oh, how do I get her in any form? I don't care. Oh, okay. Um, I, hate oh, okay. Ob- <laughs> I hate to point out the obvious. She probably wouldn't go for you, but, you know, maybe it could happen. <laughs> like, not you personally, but like you, you know, as oh, a... Me because I'm a woman. Yeah, yeah, you know. Oh, okay. I hate to, like, be the bearer of bad news here, but... Yeah, but, like, sexuality is a spectrum. Yes. 
Uh, okay, yeah. Nobody's 100% straight and nobody's 100% gay. Yes. Okay, so there's like a smidge of a possibility then. I'll give you that. Yes, there's a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So all of that to say, if Brooklyn Heights is listening, uh, hit you up. I love you. (laughs) You are like total trash for her right now. Oh my God, I don't know what's going on with me. Like, First of all, can I just say I rewatched that lip sync like 18 times? Uh huh. She looks so damn good. Which is saying a lot, seeing as how it was to a song by an artist you don't like. Yeah, I fucking hate Demi Lovato. But <laughs> tell us how you really feel. No, I don't hate her, but you know what I mean. It's like it's not my type of music. But yes. um, I don't know what it is. <laughs> You're like total putty in her hands. Yo, I literally, I text Jeffrey, like, I'm fanning myself. I can't. I love her. Is it too much to buy myself a cameo? Like, Followed by a, a picture you took, which you then posted on our story, of you kissing your TV screen. I did. I did kiss my TV screen. So, uh, Brooklyn Heights, please uh, hit up your number one fan slash future wife. I love you so much. <laughs> my God. Love me back. <laughs> Please. Okay, we, we, have so, we have so little in our lives right now. Right now? Holy shit. I really do. First of all, today, I just want to tell you my day today because this is how little I have in my life. So Brooklyn Heights, please. Um, today I woke, first of all, last night, well, this morning, early this morning, last night, I couldn't fucking sleep. So I was reading and then I started getting sleepy at around 1245. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn in. And uh, only got to sleep at 2.30. Mm-hmm. Um, then woke up at 8.45. Watched some stuff. Um, did some laundry. Took a nap from <laughs> 8.30 to 1.30. <laughs> woke up, did my dishes, and uh, here we are. <laughs> wow, that sounds pretty productive. No, like, it's sad as fuck. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten that much done if I hadn't slept well, so... Oh, whatever. So, Brooklyn, please love me. <laughs> so, let me get this straight before we before we move on. Um, or, in the words of Jack McFron from, from Will and Grace, let me get this gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you can love Brooklyn Heights because mm. she's, she's quote-unquote real and not fictional, but there's judgment when I'm fanning myself over Jess Mariano. And there's never... No, 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 no. There's never any judgment. Okay. There's like a side eye. Um, there's a side eye because, like, we literally point out flaws to you, and you're like, "But I love him." And like, okay, it's funny you're mentioning that because because as you were because as I was rewatching season three a few weeks ago in preparation for our analysis, there's like a lot of points I'm gonna point out as we go on that. Um, we didn't get into in season two because it was just like the introduction of the character. But like, I will admit openly he has flaws and there was flaws in the writing in the in his storyline that could have made him a better character. Okay. Okay, that's a big first step. Uh-huh. But we're not there yet because we're at like the very, very beginning of the season. So that's you know what? Buckle you. up because that's coming later. I'm proud of you. It's coming. Just... Make sure your, your seatbelts are securely fastened because I'm going to have a lot of feelings as we go forward. I'm proud of you. <laughs> this is growth. So you let me have Jess and I'll let you have Brooklyn. I mean, it's not the same thing. It, mm, all right. 
<laughs> so right, on today's episode, we're going let's to be discussing it. episodes two and three of yes. season three of Gilmore Girls. Yes, that's what we're here for. And episode two is called. Are you asking me? Yes, I'm asking you. Oh, haunted leg. There you go. I actually knew these ones just so you just so you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, don't believe you. <laughs> and haunted leg. It's good. I <laughs> I have it written down next to me, so you. It's I kind knew. Of cheap. <laughs> I knew. Um, haunted leg comes from what Lorelai wanted to have a more interesting. Interesting ailment than a cold. Yeah, I feel like in this episode, the writers were just like, mm, I guess we'll pick this. There's a lot. Of, I feel like there's, I feel like if you if you look just a little deeper, which we're obviously doing on this podcast, um, yeah. <laughs> you'll see that there's a lot of there's like a lot of little little areas in the show where it's where they didn't really give it a lot of thought in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think the title is definitely one of them. The title reminded me of when I'm, like, editing <laughs> the episodes, and I'm just like, oh my god, what the fuck am I gonna call this goddamn fucking episode? And I don't know, and I just pick something random. And yet, I give you, like, a thousand ideas each time we record, but... Okay, we're not gonna get into that right now, okay? <laughs> if you have a problem, you can book an appointment and talk to me later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel like they completely, like, just didn't know what to fucking call this episode. And they're like, yeah, let's go with Haunted Leg, and uh, hopefully nobody will notice, and that's it. But you're right. It's very apropos of our podcast, because you, a lot of times we don't we don't know what to call the episodes, so. Exactly. So, in a sense, I feel the writers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. There. It is hard. It's hard. I've been there. Um, okay, so let's talk about this episode. It's the aftermath of Lorelai running out of her parents' house. Yes. After this conversation about Christopher. Mm-hmm. In which I'm still mad at Richard, but whatever. Who is um, mysteriously absent from this episode. Conveniently. He's traveling. Oh, and traveling. Ooh. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. We're still mad at him. <laughs> he's traveling. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> So Lorelai and her mother are, like, mad at each other. Rory's trying to, like, bridge the gap between them. And they finally bond over. Um, someone shoot, someone they know show, shooting their husband. Shauna Christie shot her husband 35 times because she caught him with the nanny. Like, I kind of get it. <laughs> get shooting somebody 35 times? Well, I'm I'm guessing there was like that wasn't the only thing that he did wrong because to, to shoot someone 35 times he must have she must have had a list of of, of his wrongdoings. Or he was black. Okay, okay, <laughs> she went there. <laughs> Anyways, so they finally bond over that, and by bond I mean like it gets them talking again. But- and then she says, "Well, at least she had a husband to shoot." Exactly. So, you know, the subtle dig is back. You know, they're back. They're back. Right. But um, it's like a running theme throughout the episode mm-hmm. that Emily just won't let shit go. And she never really does. I feel like she's she's very good at at masking her ability to not move on or her, in, her inability to move on. Does she mask it, though? Like... <laughs> 
I feel like she, mm, she's been talking not. for like 18 years for the fact that Lorelai and Christopher didn't get married. Does she mask it really? No, she doesn't. But like, there's times really. I feel like there's times where, as a viewer, you kind of believe that oh maybe she's past it, and then no, no, she's not. Uh, yeah, she's never past it. Let's be honest. No. Okay, so um, yeah, Emily is just not over anything ever. No. And throughout the episode, she's trying to get Lorelai to talk to Christopher because she knows that he's not in love with that woman. Right. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting how, um, like, it's weird how Emily is all for Christopher leaving his pregnant girlfriend as long as she gets what she wants. Of course. Didn't you know? Like, it's not even about the fact, like, she wa- I guess on some level she wants her daughter to be happy, but on her terms. And it's like... Lorelai, women have gotten pregnant since the beginning of time. Like, uh, where where was that attitude when your 16-year-old daughter got pregnant? Yeah, well, that's number one. Number two is, like, it's just, it's a running theme, I think, with Emily and Richard. You know, I I think of the scene of, um, like, we're jumping way ahead, but I think of the scene where where they're renewing their vows. Right. And Emily's like, uh, well, we want the Rose Room, and we're going to get it. And they, like, kick people out. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care about other people. She doesn't care if that means that Christopher's going to be leaving his fiance. She doesn't give a fuck. Nope. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's called white privilege. Yeah, no, I get it. But, I mean, <laughs> at the same time, like, I understand you're upset. I understand this is finally the chance for your, your daughter to have the family she always wanted, and I guess the family that you always wanted for her. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can't just ignore the fact that somebody else is pregnant. Like that doesn't go away. It it it, it would I think it would be diff yeah it doesn't go away. But it, I think you think it would be different if um like she wasn't pregnant and he like wanted to stay with her and like he wasn't and like Christopher wasn't torn. Do you think Emily would have been all for like Lorelai coming between them? Do you mean, do I think Emily would have been as persistent? Yeah, like, let's say if Christopher was happy staying with, what's her name? Uh, Sherry. Oh, I don't know, I was going to call her Gail. I'm like, what? Gail. What, is she a 90-year-old knitter? <laughs> like, some, I was just like, insert random ass name here, I don't care about you. Um, Gail. Sh- Gail. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking of Gail. Um... But, like, do you think it would have been different if Christopher had stayed just had stayed with Sherry because that's what he wanted to do? And, like, Emily thought, well, Christopher and Lorelai need to be together and Lorelai wants to be with him. So, like, Lorelai, get in there. Mess up their relationship. He's yours. I think it's different because this time Lorelai, like, went to her parents and said, like, this is it. We want to be together kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think... It's different because Emily thinks that there there are circumstances beyond everyone's control. Right. And even though they're pretty big, circ- like, even though it's a really big hurdle, <laughs> like, his girlfriend's pregnant, um, I think she understands, like, that this is not what he wanted. Yeah. So I think if it was any other time and they were and he was just he had just decided like okay I'm gonna go back to my girlfriend I don't Mm -hmm. think she would have been reacting this way 
Yeah. But I think because Lorelai was so excited, talked to her parents about it, like told them they were getting back together, and now this happened. Like we said, I think she just doesn't give a fuck about what happened to this other woman. I I feel like it's a bit of a bit a bit of that combined with Emily saw saw a chance to get what Emily wanted when yeah. Lorelai when Lorelai said like I think you're gonna be seeing we're gonna be seeing more of Christopher. Yeah. So like Emily saw like a glimmer of a glimmer of hope at the end of the at the end of the tunnel, being like I'm finally gonna get the vision for the for my daughter that I've always wanted. And so like because she never got that all these years. Well, now it's, it's it's also very juvenile. Like she says it, she's like um she's like that woman and the child and like whatever. And you're like Emily, like it's not just like. <laughs> She was, he was, what did she say? Like, she has a child, he had a child with you first or something. And you're like, Emily, it's not like a race. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it's just like this weird, this weird, like, conservative Republican thing where as long as, rich conservative Republican, I might add, where as long as, like, in her mind, she sees it as uh, Lorelai and Christopher belong together in her in her mind they've always been they've always been together should have been together etc and now this other it's like this other woman has come in and broke them up even though it's not what happened because they weren't together he was yeah. with her it was i feel like emily i feel like emily's trying to mold the situation into a scenario that she can understand where it's like Lorelai and Christopher are meant to be together and sh- and in my mind we're already together and now this other woman has come in and this other hussy has come in and gotten herself pregnant and it's going to break up my perfect couple. Yeah, no, for real. I, I understand what you're saying. I think it's just, it's frustration on her part. Like, I think she finally saw her daughter happy. Mind you, happy in the way that she wanted her to be happy, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also, I think, Emily, like, as much as I don't like the fact that she interferes and, you know, she makes everything her problem, I think Emily is also very upset for Rory, too. Oh, yeah. I like, agree. her granddaughter, she, in her mind, I think, like, not to get too philosophical, <laughs> but I think in her mind, she's like, my, my granddaughter deserves to have both parents. I think she knows that Christopher hasn't been around for a very long time. And she's like, finally, my, my granddaughter can grow up like in what, in her mind, a normal environment. Yeah. And now she's like, well, fuck, that fucked it up. I have to do everything in my power to make sure that it's not fucked up anymore. Yeah. Which, like, you can kind of understand from a family point of view. Yeah, but the uh, way she goes about it is all wrong. Considering she considering she she doesn't ever let this go because if we flash forward to season five, <laughs> that speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not gonna go there. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just all around really frustrating for Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like yes, I don't like it, but I also can understand where she's coming from uh, and where the writers are coming from. With this too, like with her storyline. Yeah, like. But I, I still think it's a big violation that she like goes behind Lorelai's back and starts talking to Christopher. I'll yeah. Like, Fuck you, Christopher. <laughs> like Lorelai won't talk to you, so you're gonna talk to her mommy. We're are, are we are we gonna dive into to that right now, or should we or should we put no, a pin we'll, in that? No, we won't. We'll go chronologically, but it's just like you know my blood boils when we talk about <laughs> Christopher. You know yes. I can't myself. 
Oh yes, and you full you fully you fully instilled that in me now, you know. Good. <laughs> One step at a time for world domination. Yes. I wonder if Brooklyn Heights watches Gilmore Girls. Oh boy, I, I don't even know what to say to that. Maybe. All right. Let's move <laughs> on. <laughs> so, um, Kirk asked Lorelai out. Yeah. So, do we ship Lorelai and Kirk? Okay. So here's the thing that I wrote in my notebook. I said, first of all, I think it's really interesting to dive into the psychology of Kirk. <laughs> of course. Because he's talking about how like he's taking care of his mom and like her her ankles swole up swole swole bleh, swelled up and he had to like cut her pants out and whatever. Mm-hmm. I find it really like kind of like endearing that he has like twelve brothers and sisters and yet he stayed behind to take care of his mommy. Yeah. And it just makes me feel like I think Kirk would take really good care of his girlfriends. Which he does later when Lulu enters Absolutely. the scene. But I think, yeah, listen, I think he found his right, his, his right kind of weird. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But I think there's something totally sweet about him. Yeah, on some he, level. He's a little quirky. Yeah. A lot quirky. But so is I, the rest of, of Stars Hollow. That's what I was going to say. Like, everyone in this fucking town is quirky. And fine, maybe you don't want to date the quirky guy that has 87 jobs and, like, <laughs> makes hay there shampoo or whatever. But I think he would treat you so well. <laughs> yeah, it, it like he he would treat he would treat her so well in like a, the best Kirk way possible. Yeah. Which might not be what Lorelai is envisioning for her life, but. No. And let's be honest, Lorelai's fucking quirky too. Oh yes. So you know maybe she'd have a lot of fun with him. I don't know. I was feeling weird when I watched this episode. <laughs> maybe maybe they would maybe they would go bounce on the bed. Oh, God. You brought back this phrase? Uh, I don't think Kirk... Um, do you think Kirk has ever bounced before? Uh, before Lulu? I don't I don't think so. <laughs> like, I, I don't... Like, I feel like the implication when Lulu arrives is that, like, this is his first everything. Yeah. I agree. Even then? But let's not look under that rock because sexualized yeah, Kirk... Yeah, I was about is, to say... I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Sexualizing Kirk is not our job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's leave it there. But um, Lorelai rejects him. Um, she lets him down gently. Mm-hmm. He was very nice about it. He was. He even t- he was like, I think you're the prettiest girl I've ever seen outside of a filthy magazine. <laughs> so sweet, Kirk. So sweet. So sweet. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I think Kirk would be a good boyfriend. I mean, I think Lulu would agree. Yeah. Where is Lulu right now? Was Lulu in the revival? Yeah. She Okay, so probably still in Star Hollow with Kirk. No, not now. Like what in season mean? three. In season three before? 2020? I believe it now in 2020. <laughs> you fucking idiots. Um... I th- isn't it he was she was dating his brother before right oh my god i blocked that out it's true <laughs> that was so that that was her entrance story was that like he got set up by a girl who used to date his brother so maybe like lives are like lives in and around stars hollow could be that's weird okay we won't get into that but we've never seen you know kirk's legions of siblings so i know it's hard to say We've seen Jackson's family, and we've seen Taylor's family. But does, Taylor's I, family doesn't live in Stars Hollow, though, do they? No, they've all moved out. 
moved yeah. out, moved away. <laughs> but I think it would have been interesting to, te- to see Kirk's, at least his mother. I would have loved to see his mother. It's a, and I feel like it's, even if we hadn't gotten to see her, it would have been fun to have her, like, as a character who's, who, like, you only hear the voice of or something. Yeah. Like a, a Big Bang Theory kind of Mrs. Wallowitz. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I I think maybe, like, if we'd seen her, it, it would have been overkill because I feel like Kirk's mother was one of those characters where she's, she's like, she's the best when she's just talked about. Mm, could be. Yeah. Even but, that, like Kirk was Kirk was was a, was a supporting character at best. So yeah, I would have loved to see like just to get more background into him. Could have had like a Kirk spinoff. No. Like Kirk, Kirk and Mom. <laughs> no, 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 no. You wouldn't have watched that. No, no, no. Moving on. It's Rory's last first day of high school. Right. And uh, Lorelai is like super excited, so she like stays in her room and watches her sleep. <laughs> Do you remember your last first day of high school? Um, I feel like I do. It wasn't that long ago Um, in comparison to, you know, you, who is like my grandma. Um, Goodness. <laughs> wow. Um, it was like, what was that? It would have been like six, seven years ago now. So, so young. Oh, <laughs> I mean, you're older than me, though. So it, it would have been a, it would have been a lot longer ago for you. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Would it not have been? Did you remember your last first last? What is it? First <laughs> last first day. Okay. Last. Would you remember your last first day of high school? Uh, I have like I, I get flashbacks and bits and pieces. Right. All I know is that I probably was very relieved because I hated high school. Oh, yeah, me too. So, like, yeah, I was probably like, this is the last time I have to do this shit. <laughs> I think, let's see, I probably, like, I do remember it, but I was just, like, a very different person then. So, um, I probably would have been, like, ex- I was always very excited with the start of a new school year. So, I think, and in, in, in grade 11, which um, is our last year of high school here, um we probably I think I probably would have been like a bit miffed that everybody didn't really give a shit anymore because by grade 11 it's like no one cares even though you still have to pass so I I don't think I I don't think I would have been like I think I would have been excited that high school was ending but not so excited that it was just time to screw off yeah no but I was one of those kids that was very excited for CJ. Like See, my my brother was starting CGIP that year and I saw the freedom that he had and it was yeah. pick like most of his classes and like I was like I don't want to do this anymore. Please <laughs> just fast forward this year. I think I think I, I probably don't remember it as clearly as you do because I was just very unprepared for the future after high school and not in the sense that like I didn't know what I wanted to do, I didn't know what I wanted to study. It was more like I was not mentally prepared. I was kind of, I was, like, very, I I think I was, like, very immature for a long time. And, like, nobody really, no one really noticed because, like, I hid it really well. Like, I was, I was immature in the sense that, like, I, like, I would hide from things that made me scared or anxious. So, like, the entire concept of, you know, what, what were you going to do after high school? Like, that, like, that made me so anxious that I repressed the feeling and it was, like, 
I would just follow whatever I would follow whatever someone was telling me to do. So like you have to submit your application here by this date, there by that date. It's like I would like go through all the motions, follow all the rules. And it was only like when CJEP actually started, was it like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know, it was like I knew it like I always knew what I wanted to study. It was it was never it was never an issue of I didn't know what I was what I was doing in life. It was more just like I was very unprepared for life as a grown up, shall we say. I don't think anyone's very prepared for that. I, I don't think they are either, I think. But I think in my brain, like, it's funny we're talking about this because a few weeks ago I came across this old this old skit from Saturday Night Live um, that was called, like, Wells for Sensitive Little Boys. <laughs> I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen it. No. But it was, it was it, I think it was either, f- like, three, four years ago now. But Emma Stone was the was the host for that episode, so she's, so she's in it. And she plays, like, the mom of this like sensitive little boy and so the, it's a it's an ad for a fisher price toy called like wells for boys and it's basically just like this toy well for like a boy to just you know lean on and gaze into and like just be all like sad and in his feelings kind of thing and so like the the line in the skit was some ki- I'm, I'm i'm gonna butcher it but it was like some kids play while others just wait for adulthood and I feel like that's who I was as a kid. So I felt, so I feel like um, if I was, un- if, if I was unprepared, it was because I spent so long not preparing for it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I think, but, you know, I think the common misconception that a lot of people have when they're younger is that once you reach a certain age, your life is going to be together and like your problems are going to disappear. And you're like, oh, when I'm an adult, when I'm an adult, everything's going to be different. Like, yeah. You know? That was definitely, yeah. Yeah, that was me. And the problem is now is that, um, you know, like I'm 28 years old. I just moved to another province. I just moved away from home for the second time and I still don't feel like an adult. Yeah, exactly. And and I, so yeah. I don't I don't know if you ever really feel like you're in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you definitely know that you should be. <laughs> like I pay bills and I have a job and like I do groceries. But I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's more of a state of mind than anything else. It's definitely a state of mind, and I think, I I think for me personally, I had to learn over and over again, and even now I'm still learning. Like I had to learn the hard way that adult life is not one set, set in stone, pretty picture. Yeah. So, and I think I think part of the issue was like not that. Well, this was obviously that was also part of the issue was I was you know sit, I sat around didn't play very much I wait I just waited for adulthood and I wasn't I, I waited for adulthood but I wasn't prepared for it either so it was like a double it was like running in circles mm-hmm. um but like I also just had a very warped like ideal in my head of what it was going to look like because like because because I used to like repress anything that made me anxious I would just it was so like pushed to the back of my brain that I didn't deal with it and so it was like it took me a long time to like dig deeper into that box and like deal with what was making me anxious about certain things and it was kind of like a very um how shall I say like a very deeply like deeply felt anxiety around just growing up because I think I I think I knew obviously waiting quote-unquote waiting for adulthood that there was no set in stone pretty picture mm-hmm. but I didn't want to accept that yeah. so I like, really, I feel like the minute you accept that you're like but what is this all for and then exactly. that, that can of worms 
so I feel like because because I knew the reality that adulthood was not pretty or not just it was it, like I had a very warped version of it. Mm-hmm. It meant that that made me anxious. So I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to like retreat even farther into you know childhood things, despite the fact that I'm too old for them and it's time to grow up. You know. Ah, uh, whatever. At this point, I'm like, live your life. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> it's. I mean, I know that now, but it, like five years ago, it would have been a very. No, good for thing. sure, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Trust me, I get it. <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like our therapy is a whole other podcast, though. God. <laughs> that reminds me, I have to find a therapist here. Okay. Um, <laughs> if only to deal with my uh, my love for Brooklyn Heights. Yes. Um. Okay. So. We get introduced to Francie in this episode. What a bitch. Yeah, so from the get-go, she's a very big bitch. <laughs> um, Wasn't Fra- Francie was also in season two, though, remember? Yeah, for the puffs, but we get to, we're introduced to her in a government capacity. Okay. Um, so <laughs> she's on the student body government, student body council. I don't know what the fuck you call it. With um, Paris and Rory. Mm-hmm. And her main issue, you guys, that she really thinks that she can change the world with is hemlines. I don't think it's changed the world. I think it's just like uh, she, she wants what she wants and she's going to get it because she's now in a position that she yeah, can. Being sarcastic, obviously. Okay. Well. She does think, I mean, she, that that is the end-all and be-all for her. Yeah, seriously, her main, her first issue, like, their first meeting, her first issue is raising the hemlines, a, a, no, one and a half inches. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, is that really a pressing matter? But that's what I'm saying. Like, Paris is sitting there, like, talking about her agenda. Like, don't get me wrong, Paris is also loca. But, like... <laughs> Paris talking about, like, we need more funding for the library, and we need, like, better this. And she's like, I want hemlines raised. Okay, where does that fall, bitch? Like, think of, like, use your brain. Okay, and the thing that really pissed me off, too, is that, like, they pull Rory into the bathroom mm-hmm. to discuss it. I'm like, what is the fucking mafia? Yeah. Thank you for stopping by. And they're like, what? But, like, she's such... She's, like... She's obviously such a bully... Yeah. That she thinks she can do that, first of all. But on the but on the other hand, she like just thinks her shit doesn't stink. And it's like, you know what? I see through you. I'm an adult now. I'm not scared of you. I see through just you. Just went through this. We're not adults. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I but like you know, I'm a grown up, quote unquote. I don't have to listen to you, you fictional character on my screen. You're a bully. You know what I mean? No, I mean she's definitely a bully. But I think it's just like. Another part of this Chilton world where these kids think they can get anything they want. It's very, like, teenage Emily Gilmore. Teenage Emily Gilmore meets, like, gossip girl drama. Oh, my God, yes. Now that you said it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, before this, like, okay, I have to say, before this season where, like, the drama with Francie happens, which we're going to get into, obviously. But, like... Gilmore Girls was a show that I I liked because it didn't get into all that teenage drama. Yeah. And if it did, it was, like, normal things. Like, Lane and Rory had a falling out because now Rory has a boyfriend. Or, like, you know, like, things like that. Or they like the same guy. Like, I get that. This whole, like, going behind her back, meeting in, like, parking lots. and Like, that was just weird for me. 
Um, yeah, I, I agree. The storyline was weird for me throughout the season. Yes, I agree. But wouldn't you also say that the whole uh, Dean Jess Rory triangle in season two is not was not like top tier teen drama? No, I'm not saying teen. Dr- of course, the teen show it aired on the WB in the 2000s. There's gonna be teen drama. <laughs> but this whole like, you know, because you said Gossip Girl, I'll just bring it back to that. You know, like in Gossip Girl, where they're like these these seven, 16, 17 year olds, like playing adults like they're like we are gonna hatch a plan to kill this guy and like we're gonna meet like and give him the money like that shit that's not believable kind of thing no exactly i know what you mean like it's, it's and i mean it wasn't gossip girl level of course but i feel like roy could have just like no bitch no <laughs> or yeah. just go to paris and be like yo francie cornered me they're friends now francie cornered me and she wants to do this you do whatever you want to do yeah Whatever. I felt like it was really unnecessary. And if they really wanted Rory and Paris to fall out again so that they can build back that friendship, they could have done it in another way. Paris is such an irrational character that everything is a slight. They could have gone about it in another way. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That was just my two cents. And maybe it's just because I hate Francie. No, I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying in terms of it's a bit of unrealistic teen drama and that there's, you know, the whole peer pressure and and private school what's even what's even the right word like private school chess game almost like you're a pawn yeah. in my like um, private yeah yeah like yeah exactly so i think in comparison to you know seasons one and two there's a lot more private school like melodrama which, which is I, like i guess i understand because this is the point of the season this is the point of the show where like the dream that they've been focusing on, which is getting Rory into Harvard, is really going to happen next year. So they're kind of setting the stage. Yeah. So it makes sense to have more of the scenes take place at school, you know, like within the next couple of episodes with her, like doing college applications and all that. I just think this, the way to go about like her in Paris having a falling out was just weird and out of character for the show. Yeah. And it was out of character because like, as soon as the, the falling out with Paris and Rory happens later, you're like, okay, didn't we, didn't we go through this in season yeah. one? Exactly. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know, but that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> so shall, um, we, uh, shall we talk about um, Christopher's climactic hissy fit? Yeah. So this is the scene in the episode. If you take nothing away from the episode, but this, you got it basically. <laughs> So, yeah, because other than that, like, Paris and Rory doing government shit, yeah, it's great, but no, 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 Kirk asking Lorelai out, okay, cool, filler. This is the scene of the episode. Yes. So, um, Lorelai's still mad at Emily when she goes to Friday night dinner because Emily spoke to Christopher. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say... It was a little bit hypocritical of Lorelai to be like, you're butting into my business and you're talking to him behind my back. When, like, didn't you, bitch, didn't you talk to Dean behind Rory's back and, like, not tell her? Yeah, it's true. I didn't I think of that. Same thing exactly, but I mean, like, stop, okay? You're your mother's daughter, too, okay? It's true. I didn't even I didn't even link that. That's, that's interesting. That's very true. Yeah, so that was just my, my observation. Yeah. I mean, what's a little bit different? There's a pregnancy involved and another woman. I get it, but whatever. Um, so whatever. They're at Friday night dinner, and this hilarious scene with this maid, this poor maid who doesn't know what the <laughs> fuck is going on. I bet you, if you asked her her name, she would flop around like a <laughs> on a deck. Um, and Christopher comes in. 
I mean, before we get to Christopher, just one thing on the maid. I think that I think this maid is a bit more is a bit different than like the other maids that we that we see throughout the show where it's like she's like will like hide like hide like a little sheep behind a behind a table or something. Mm-hmm. Where she's like you like remember there's one where she, where uh Lorelai and Rory come in and they like give her their coats and they're like and uh, Lorelai says like you can go hide in the kitchen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Like this this woman is just retarded. Like she's just like walks in. We don't and, use our word, Jeffrey. Okay, she's like I didn't, yeah she's she's just dumb. She's like okay dinner's ready. Uh, it's six thirty. I asked you to make dinner at seven. It's just like nods and smiles. Like hello, do you need to ask the wizard for a brain? I love the the scene where she's like oh big bell and she has yeah. salads in her hand. It's like, how do you confuse the doorbell on the oven? Like, are you really? Okay. That, to me, was the big one. Yes. Or she's just like, oh, okay, so now that was the doorbell. Oh, like, uh, okay. All right, sweetie. Just run along. I don't know. Who doesn't know what a doorbell sounds like? But anyways. Um, so Christopher walks in. He's like, I knew you'd be here. I needed to talk to you. Um... For me, I think this might be the best argument of the whole series. You think? This one, for me, and the end of the season six finale. Ah, yes. Where Lorelai and Luke are arguing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I love this because for all, like, Lorelai's, you know, like, she tries to, to play like it didn't mean, not it didn't mean anything, but she tries to keep it on a brave face for Rory and she's like, you know, it sucks, but we are where we are, like, whatever. And you actually see that it has an impact on her. It actually hurts her. You know what yeah. I mean? And she's very good at hiding that part of herself with her mother and with Rory. So mm-hmm. it was nice to see that it actually affected her. And I think she, act- I think it was actually cathartic for her character to kind of yell at him. Yeah. Because he's been doing shit for 16, 17, 18 years. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression it's the first time that she can yell at him and be like, yo, you fucking broke my heart. Like, go away. <laughs> I don't have to talk to you if I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, that's true. Because there's, you're right, there are, there are other times throughout the show where Lorelai is, she's, it's, it's, I think it's more of a mask, like I was saying earlier, where she can uh, put, on, put on a brave face for, like, her daughter or her mother or her father. But then there's times where... Someone like someone pushes her buttons, and you're right. It's either it's usually either Christopher or Luke, and it's just like all bets are off. She's like speaking her mind. Doesn't matter who hears her. Yep. But so I need to talk about how fucking delusional Christopher is. It's not delusional, or I just I just think it's like who like the audacity he has to show up there. Both, like the audacity to show up when you clearly don't have like what are you gonna say that's gonna make the situation better? Mm-hmm. And the audacity to be like, yeah, I'm gonna marry her. <laughs> <laughs> but also like so delusional to think that like what do you want from her? She says it like, what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah. Like, are you still with her? Yes. Is she still pregnant? Yes. Are you gonna marry her? Yes. And she's like, well, we are where we are. And she's like, but I don't want things to be like this. She's like, but they are. Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think you coming here and yelling at each other is accomplishing? That's what, like, that's what gets me is that, first of all, the audacity you have to just show up there 
and blame everything on Lorelai, first of all, because it's like, you turned my daughter against me. It's like, no, no. Uh, Rory's a big girl. Rory can think for herself. And you screwed her as much as you screwed Lorelai. So um, deal with your actions yeah. and their consequences. And maybe don't project your own issues onto the people around you. Mm-hmm. And also, he acts like a six-year-old child because he's like, I don't like this. Just talk to me. I want it to be different. It's like, uh, you're you're a grown adult man, and you know that things can't be different because they are the way they are. So why don't you put on your big boy pants and go home? Yeah, so here's the thing. I think more than anything, it shows that as much as we thought, like, at the end of season two, that he was he grew up and he was responsible and whatever, they could finally be together. It just shows that he's the same fucking person. Yeah. He's the same guy who doesn't take responsibility for his actions. Um, you know, he wants to fix things with Lorelai. He doesn't understand why, like, he's delusional in the sense, like, he doesn't understand why Rory's mad at him. Yeah. At Suki's wedding, you guys had a conversation where she said, we've been waiting for this for a long time. Don't screw it up. And then you screwed it up. And instead of saying, you know what? Yeah, I fucking screwed it up. I'm so sorry. You're like, you turned her against me. She was never like this before. Mm -hmm. She has feelings. You just completely disregard them. And could we also argue perhaps he doesn't know his daughter's feelings very well because he's not around. Yeah, well, that's that's a given. That's a given, you know, like, how do you expect to know your child when you've never been there for her? Mm-hmm. You know, and she, like, you got her hopes up. You said it was going to be different this time. And then, you know, like, at the same time, I under, look, look, I get both sides. You didn't know Sherry was going to get pregnant. But when Lorelai says they are what they are, like, we are where we are. Mm-hmm. It's true, but you can't expect people. Sorry. Oh, my God. You can't expect people not to be upset. Like, you think everything's just going to be okay? Yeah. Let people have their feelings. It's true. Oh, my God, I can't. And, like, we've talked about this before, but this is really the turning point in the in the Rory-Christopher relationship. I don't think it is. You don't like, think it is? I think it's, like, the catalyst, but I don't... I think it takes, it takes Rory a little longer to fully become the bitter shell towards her father. I think it's the beginning. For me, it's the beginning because it's the first time that, um, you know, even after Lorelai and Luke and Lorelai and Luke, Lorelai and Christopher had their little tiff when Sherry came to town. Um, Rory was still very understanding and still spoke to him. Now she's like, now she's mad. I feel more than anything. I feel like she's just fucking mad. Yeah. You know, and I understand that later on in the season, like she goes to baby showers and she goes to be there for the birth of her half sister, whatever. But that, I think that's just um, like who she is as a person Mm -hmm. where of course she's still mad at him, but you know, she realizes it's important. Yeah. Anger ever really goes away, but there are circumstances beyond her control kind of thing, you know? Uh, Yeah. I I agree that it's like that. It's the turning point, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say necessarily that Rory, um, like, deal, deals with how she feels about it until, like, seasons four and five. Oh, for sure. I think it obviously gets worse. But I think at this point, she's old enough. She's not the naive, like, person that we saw in season one. 
Where she's yeah. like, oh, he seems better. Like, he seems like he's got his shit together. Now she's like, yo, he's never getting his fucking shit together, obviously. That's who he is. It's okay. Well, not it's okay, but the more season three goes on and she's, like, dealing with all this shit, I think I feel like she comes to accept the fact that her father is never going to be the father that she wanted and knows that she needs. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, so for me, it was a really, like... I don't know. It just made me hate him so much more. Because <laughs> he's so fucking delusional. Like, I'm... I wouldn't... As, I, for me, delusional doesn't come to mind. But I do see what you mean. I think he's just... He's obviously delusional in that he, in that he has, like, this six-year-old mentality of... He wants to come here and, like, what causes a scene and he'll make everything right again. Yeah. But I think it's more... It's more that... He th- he thinks that by th- he thinks obviously that by making a scene he he'll somehow get what he wants even though he getting what he wants is not a possibility. Yeah. And well, but then- for me, when I say delusional, it's more like like delusional to think that you going there and saying absolutely nothing because nothing was said during that conversation. By the way, like right. like I want to talk about what like he doesn't even know what he wants to talk about. Yeah. You know. I don't know. Well, I think that uh, Christopher gets the better of us. Yeah, I can go on and on, by the way, but (laughs) let's talk about the last scene of the episode. Where uh, Jess and Rory argue in the grocery store. Yeah. So I personally love how, how Jess is purposely dating somebody else just to spite her. Because, I mean, I don't I don't love, obviously, their, you know, disgusting makeout sessions. Oh, it's so gross. Um, but, I, it's, but, like, it's interesting to me that, it get, like, Rory gets so offended by it when it's like, um, hello, you are still literally in a relationship with somebody else. Yeah, I, really, I literally wrote, girl, I'm over you. <laughs> because she gets so upset, it's like, you are, you didn't make any, you, it would be different if... Like, they kissed, and then uh, she broke up with Dean, and now she's waiting for him, but he's with somebody Hold else. Hold on. I, I I would argue that it would be different if she they kissed, and she at least spoke to him. Yeah. Called him. Like you said, did you call me? Fruit basket, smoke signal, pigeon carrier. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's so right. Like, you ignored me for the entire summer. What did you want me to do? Mm-hmm. He, let, let's think about it. He moved back to Stars Hollow, let's be honest, for her, right? Yeah. And then she goes to Washington, doesn't speak to him. He's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do in Stars Hollow this summer? Uh, I will find somebody to stick my tongue down her throat. <laughs> Which I guess is, like, not unreasonable. I mean, like, what do you want from He's going to wait for you? For you to decide that you're done with Dean? Which takes, what, five more episodes? Yeah, but, like, it's not reasonable to think that. She's being very irrational. And I understand that sometimes teenage girls are very irrational. But she wants her cake to eat and eat it, too. She wants to eat, have her cake and eat it, too. I think she's just kind of a bit selfish and entitled in this case. Yeah, for real. But um, I was glad that they had that confrontation, though. Because I think somebody it, needed to put her in her place. Mm-hmm. But even then, she's 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 still fully in. De- she's literally fully in denial until the moment at the dance marathon when Dean says, "Sorry, I'm not a boyfriend anymore." 
Sweet and even then, even, even then, it takes her a minute to like acknowledge that. Oh my God, he ended it. Maybe I do like somebody else. Like, oh, can get your head out of your ass. Yeah, for real. Um, I'm 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 just glad that he he told her off. Yeah. Because she needed to hear it. Mm-hmm. Like I, she needed to hear how ridiculous she was being, and she needed to hear it from the source. I don't think. Because here's the thing. In the first episode, Lorelai also tells her, like, you got to pick. Yeah. But I think hearing it from Jess is different. Yeah, because <laughs> she's still denying that she has feelings for him. Oh, good Lord. This so in order for her, like, that's what that's what so is so aggravating about these first seven episodes is because she, I don't understand what she's so scared of. And acknowledging that maybe it's over with Dean. Is it because, like, Dean and Jess hate each other so much? I think it's more to do with the fact that, like, she's comfortable. Um, Like, she's been with him for almost three years. She's just come. She feels safe. She feels comfortable. You know what I mean? I get the impression that Rory doesn't, like, change very much. Yeah, there's there's that. And also, like, the fact that no one in, no one in, her, in her little town where everyone loves her likes Jess. Like Jess yeah. is like is the town pariah. Yeah, so, that could be it. And then you know, part of part of the other part of the feelings that I'm gonna to have to express later deal with the fact that they go to such like tremendous lengths in the in the second half of season three to point out that like Dean was such a better boyfriend and it's no. like he wasn't. Maybe no. in some like random chival- chivalrous aspects, but but they're archaic, like. Exactly. So. Whatever. Anything else you want to say about episode two? Um, I hate Christopher. <laughs> at this um, point, Kirk would have been a better choice than Christopher. Let's be honest. I, I at this point, I would be I would be open to Lorelai and Kirk over Lorelai and Christopher. Yes. Which is a big difference because I think in when we were discussing season one, I said. For a long time, I held out hope for Lorelai and Christopher. And only since you have converted me and showed me all the toxic ways. I'm like, no, never. 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 <laughs> um, no, nothing else for this episode. Let's move on to episode three, which is application anxiety. Yes, indeed. Should we yes. talk about the Brady Bunch Variety Hour? Okay, if you haven't watched the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, <laughs> please watch it. So I've ne- I've actually so I've never personally seen like the Variety Hour, but I've seen I've seen like the entire original series and uh, and I've seen like a couple of like the spinoff movies. Okay. But I know that like the I know that like the Variety Hour was like just a big joke when it you know when it was on and like and like um, Rory says in the in the first scene that TV Guide named it one of the worst shows of all time. Okay, so rightfully so, it's fucking terrible. But I think it's the kind of show where you would watch, like, when you're tripping. Yes. Which I've never done. But, I mean, if I was gonna, I'd pop this in the DVD machine. So, have you, have you actually seen the the Brady Bunch Variety Hour? Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I think it was, I mean... I, I wonder what context I've seen it. Sorry to cut you off. I have no idea. All I know is that I've seen it, and I can't remember why. <laughs> I think it was at my grandmother's house. I don't. I, I really don't remember, and it's pissing me off. I've been thinking about it since yesterday, and I don't know why or how or when or what. 
so you saw the Brady Bunch variety hour in a past life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll leave. Okay. That that that's that's good enough for me. Yeah. You know when quarantine is over, we should get together and watch this and film ourselves. <laughs> and see if it's any see if it's like any similar to Lorelai and Rory's reaction. I feel like you know that gif that we posted a couple of weeks ago of like Lorelai watching Luke watch something? Yeah. I feel like that's gonna be me watching you watch this. <laughs> and it's well, it's it wouldn't be I don't think it would be as traumatic watching it because um I was like I was like a huge Brady Bunch fan when I was little. Yeah. Um my when one of my aunts like bought my mom like the first few DVDs when they were first came out like in two thousand and five when T V shows on D V D were like the you know, all the rage. Yeah. Um and so like I just glommed onto it very quickly and was like deeply obsessed with it for a long time. And I think anyone in my family can attest to that. Yeah. Um, as my mother says, yep, in the background. <laughs> um Hi Debbie. <laughs> um yeah I don't know like it wasn't I don't really know what it was I just I've always been a a fan of like things from the 60s and 70s I think Mm -hmm. I think I was from the 60s and 70s in a past life I'm just a big fan of like pop culture from that era so that's looking back that was definitely a part of it and I think I just I think I just related to it a lot like I liked the whole you know golly gee 50s blended family kind of mentality it was like it was calming for me when I was younger and I also just I I also just saw myself in the characters I think so yeah I I understand why people make fun of it now like as an as an adult I understand why it's so easy to make fun of but like as a kid it was like it makes sense yeah um yeah I love shows from the 70s as well Mm -hmm. like I don't know I think maybe it's because I used to watch them with my dad and my uncle so they mean something a little bit to me. But you know that channel Deja Vu that we have in fucking Canada? Yeah, which, by it's the way, Deja is like... A, Deja Vu, I'm not sure. It's Deja Vu. Okay, whatever. Which, by the way, is a total abomination now. Like, they have no, they have almost no retro shows anymore. Is it really? Okay, because when we first got it um, way back when, like, when it first came out, it was great. I Yeah, so... It was back to back to back to back of, like, just amazing stuff. Yeah, so... We never had Deja Vu at our house um, in Montreal, but when my cousins lived in Ottawa, and we used to we used to like be there be there a lot, me and my mom. And so people always ask me like, where did my love of old television sitcoms come from? Yeah, and I kid you not, it came from many many hours spent in my cousin's living room with nothing else to do because my mom was either taking care of them or out doing, out putting out other people's fires and I was alone sitting in the living room watching TV and they had a whole like plethora of channels that we didn't have. And so I would just sit and I would watch Deja Vu for hours. And so like, that's where my love of old sitcoms comes from. I think it's also like, I think we've mentioned before, I love, I love Lucy. Yes. I think it's also something about, like, the simplicity of the comedy. It's very calming. Like, it's, I've actually, you're going to laugh, but um, I was, I've actually been toying with the, with the idea of writing a book about, um, like, why sitcoms are so, like, why, why sitcoms are so beloved. Why would I laugh? I don't know, because, like, it's, 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 like, not, it's literally, I wrote, like, a synopsis of what would make a good book for it, like, a proposal almost. Yeah. 
but it would like require years of research and interviews, which is like not happening anytime soon. Um, I, I'm like the present year in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I, I, I started like toying with the idea last summer and it was like that my working title is Life is Like a Sitcom because that's the title of a song that Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke sang together once. Yeah. Um, like on a variety. So fucking good. Pardon? The Mary Tyler Moore show is so fucking good. That's literally my lifeline. Like I, <laughs> like honestly, the Mary Tyler Moore show ca- can calm me down like nothing else can. Oh my god, it's so fucking good. It's so good. Sorry, I got sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like that was the title of a song they sang together once on a variety show that they like they did together. Yeah. And so it was like so that title was um like that phrase you know life is like a sitcom you know I think would be a good idea for a book about why life is like a sitcom and why we why we gravitate so much towards the formula of the sitcom I think it's a great idea perhaps you'll see it on the shelves like 10 years from now if nobody else steals my idea now that I've just spoken it out into the universe someone else is going to steal my idea but yeah <laughs> <laughs> not joking but I think it's a good idea um, I think you have a lot of knowledge <laughs> for that. Yes, but all of that to say, my love of old sitcoms, classic TV sitcoms, came from hours of sitting alone watching Deja Vu. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure one of the only, sh- like one of the only quote unquote retro shows they still they still show on that channel is Three's Company. Whatever. Which I was yeah. also upset. Which I was also obsessed with at one point. So. Yeah, like it's a good show, but like, fuck you. They, on- honestly, they show like. Everybody loves Raymond and okay, like. Okay, let's rule- just schedule for today. Website, <laughs> Scrubs, The Middle. Oh, wonderful. Frasier. Yeah. America's Funniest Home Videos. It's 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 honestly an abomination now. It was nothing in comparison to what. It to- when did The Middle become deja vu? That's even that that's just it though. It's like it's, it's not even it's not even dedicated to retro programming anymore. It's just like whatever. Even tomorrow, they're only playing two episodes of Three's Company, and that's it. Yeah, I think, that, I, think, I think that's the only show before 1980 that they that they still carry. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, and before um, I don't remember when they introduced it, but sometime between after Deja Vu and before the present, they also introduced a channel called Comedy Gold. Yes. Which is also, I think. Uh, Canadian, because it, yeah, like, it was like it was like it was a division of like the Comedy Channel. But it's 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 CTV, I think that does it. Yeah, and so the, it's the, they they discontinued it a few years ago. But that but that was the channel actually where I got into Mary Tyler Moore because after after Mary Tyler Moore died in 2017, they showed like the weekend after they did a whole marathon. Yeah. And I, like, and I like purposely didn't leave the house that weekend. I sat and I watched the entire marathon. And I was like, I'm buying all of the DVDs right now. Oh, Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> okay, can we get to this episode? Because I feel like... Mm. We got so sidetracked with our love of sitcoms. I know, I know. Okay, let's let's focus. Focus. Okay, so Brady Bunch Variety Hour, we did that. Yes. Um, Rory gets her college application. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize that life before the internet must have sucked. Literally. <laughs> Literally, because if you... Fill this shit out by hand. And then send it back in. But, like, I think there would have been a little bit less control around it. So, like, you would have, you know, I feel like now when we, when we do all those applications online, it's like you can constantly check your email or log back in and click, click, click. And now it's like, but back then, 
you'd had to. Yeah, back then you sent it, and when they sent you a letter back, that's when you heard. Yeah, so I feel like that was maybe a bit less stressful. Oh. In my opinion. I don't know, because I feel like if it were me and it was today, I would refresh my page once a day and I'd be like, hey, not today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, but like to me, to me, that's just toxic after a while. Also, I'm one of those people, whenever I write something out, I'm never satisfied with the way my writing looks. And I always restart. But clearly not enough to eliminate Eleno. Okay. You know what? (laughs) This friendship, I don't know what I get from it anymore. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyways, so that that whole thing was fucking weird. Also, I was thinking, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the States, only for the fact that I don't want to write a college essay. I literally wrote that down in my notebook because I knew I knew that we would both see eye to eye on that. Like, aren't you glad you didn't apply? Like a nightmare. I know. Like, aren't you glad that you didn't apply to an American university where it, 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 just, it just feels like a big game of politics? Oh, my God. Like, I need a topic. Like, you got to give me something if I can write, like, to write an essay. You know what I mean? But it's like, prove your originality. Prove your worth with your words. It just feels, like, so degrading. And, like, I don't know if you've seen, like, recently, uh, the example that comes to mind is Never Have I Ever. Yes. He's meeting with, like, the college recruitment guy. Yeah. Like, I don't know. He's, like, a counselor. I don't know what he is. And he's like, you got to be original. Like, oh, yeah, talk about the fact that your dad died at your recital. Like, they'll eat that shit up. And I'm like, yo, what if I've let, I haven't, but what if you've led a blessed life? You know what I mean? Yes. And I think, like, it's a very, this is a very, like, slippery slope. Because I think the whole point of, like, writing about a challenge that you've had to overcome, like, I think it's supposed to, you know, Maybe not, but in my brain, I think it's kind of maybe trying to call out examples of privilege and kind of like asking you to look in your look in the mirror and examine like how privileged your life has been. Which is not to say that like privileged people don't also deserve to go to college, but it's like you know I don't I don't know what what the psychological point of it is, but to yeah. me Listen, to me like what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, but but seriously, what if you grew up <laughs> two parents, like you just went to high school, you had your good core of friends, knock on wood, nothing bad has ever happened to you. And like, what are you supposed to write about? Well, you could like, well, it wasn't like the only essay topic was to write about an obstacle. Yeah, but I mean, that. Listen, maybe it's me, like, reading too much into, like, what's portrayed in the media. But yeah. let's be honest. Every time a college application essay is portrayed in the media, it's always, like, you have to talk about something interesting that happened in your life. Like, yeah, and then the oh, obstacle is, like, you don't know. You, yeah. you got to write about that. Yeah. It's, no, and I'm just, we're, I'm grateful that we we don't have to kind of jump through those hoops as much in Canada. Yeah. Listen, we've said it before. When I applied for university in Canada, I went online. <laughs> I typed my name and my birthday and my social security number. I wrote which CGIP I was going to. My CGIP then got an email from the university saying, please send us this record. And I paid $30 and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I literally applied like 
on the first of the month and I got accepted like 13 days later. Yeah. It wasn't even like it wasn't even a big it's, it's really not as big of a deal here, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's in Montreal there's like mini competition between McGill and Concordia. Mhm. And I'm sure in other provinces there's the same thing if there's multiple universities. But yeah, like you said, it's not a big deal. Like, like it's a big deal that you're going to university and you got in, but like, it's not as if you had to fight to the death by proving your worth in an essay. But that's it, because I think like the difference here is like we don't have Ivy Leagues. <laughs> no, it's not not even a thing. No, like we have universities in your province that are all pretty much great, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, they also don't cost as much as they cost in the States. No. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's like max $5,000 a year. It's like, it, I don't even think it's comparable. Cause it's like you, Not if a you, semester, if you, year. Yeah, like if you look at, if you look at like the total cost for a year here and like the total tuition for a year in an American university, it's like astronomically different. Yeah, even international students don't pay what American students pay. Which is like... Uh, I'm going to look it up now so I can blow people's minds. But um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And before, before we move on to the rest of the episode, um, I do have an issue that, I need, that needs addressing on our Tell podcast. Me. So um, I've, I have issues, and I always have, like, since the first time I watched Gilmore Girls. I've always had an issue with... Gilmore Girls taking shots at Sylvia Plath. Okay. <laughs> so like I'm definitely gonna be reading I'm definitely gonna be like taking this too seriously and reading too much into it. And I'm definitely biased because I'm a big Sylvia Plath fan. But I really don't like the way that the dialogue is surrounding the jokes about Sylvia Plath. Just because Especially in this episode where they're taught, where like Lorelai and Roy are talking about um, different, like d- different possibilities for her essay, and it says, you know, you can write about someone who's inspired you, and you know they they throw around a few names, and Lorelai says, well, what what about one of your authors? And the Roy says, well, how about Sylvia Plath? And Lorelai's like, mm, might send the wrong message, you know, the whole sticking your head sticking your head in the oven thing, and then. She also says something about how, oh well, she at least she made her kids she, at least she made her kids a snack first. Shows some kind of maternal instinct. Like it's kind of just, it feels very misogynistic that 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 whole that that whole dialogue. Yeah, I feel like um, because I know for a fact it's not the first time in the show that they're gonna make a Sylvia Plath dig. No. Um, I feel like it's an obvious joke. It's it's an obvious literary joke to make. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's very, like, I'm not going to say everybody knows who Sylvia Plath is, but... It's not original, like... No. I feel like it's the obvious joke to make for people, and they just make it because, you know. Yeah, and I'm not, and like I I said, I'm def, I definitely take it too seriously, but especially, like, this, but that dialogue in this scene of this episode bothers me because, um, especially, like, after Sylvia Plath committed suicide, which, if you don't know, she, like, she did commit suicide by putting her head in the oven. Spo- <laughs> spoilies. Spoilies. Um, <laughs> a really long time ago, but spoilies. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, 50, uh, 57 years ago now. Yeah, like, 60 years ago, whatever. Yeah, so, um, what, but what bothers me about, like, 
that dialogue and makes me think it's, it's misogynistic is that like after after Sylvia Plath died, it was um, it was her like her her widower Ted Hughes who was mm-hmm. also a poet, and they had this whole torrid literary marriage that is pretty well known. You can find it you can find it anywhere you look if you look hard enough. Um, he he like cheated on her, left her, screwed around on her, and she had like obvious mental health issues that weren't taken seriously by you know her fifties and sixties society. And after she died, all of her work was left in his hands. And he, uh, it was later proved that he manipulated a lot of her journals and her poems because he thought it might make him look bad. And there was this, like, there's this whole torrid history about what he did to her work after she died. And the thing is that the public, like, the public, um, not the public, like, the general consensus is that the the creation of Sylvia Plath after she died was was all pretty much by Ted Hughes and the Hughes family. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, you know, in popular culture, such as on Gilmore Girls, the only really, like, version of Sylvia Plath that gets mentioned is, like, oh, this, this tragic female poet who, like, stuck her head in the oven. It's, like, that was, that was created by the misogynistic culture and her husband. You know what I mean? Everything, like. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, if there's a lot of there's a lot of like um, stories and information about Sylvia Plath from her perspective without her husband's like manipulation. Mm -hmm. That and I would definitely recommend looking into that if you like Sylvia Plath. Like in 2000, they published a new version of her journals that weren't edited and featured none of um, Ted Hughes's manipulation. Yeah, I mean, look, it's men write the history books, right? Exactly. <laughs> There's a reason the term herstory in recent memory has become very prevalent. It's because for the longest time, we've only taken a male perspective when looking at the past. Yeah. When we say that, like, the patriarchy has a hand in everything, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and like, pop culture is not immune, right? No. Like, Amy Sherman Palladino, as much as we think, like, she's a great, like, feminist role model, she's not immune to that, you know? No. Um, That being said, I'm sure even in the year 2020, we're still making the same bullshit Sylvia Plath jokes. Yeah. But I think my issue with Sylvia Plath jokes is that, like, in popular culture, she's also regarded as, like, this, um, like, feminist icon. Mm Mm-hmm like feminist feminist literary icon who would then inspire people like Rory to write about her right but the same but this same misogynistic dialogue persists around her her narrative and her story which was perpetuated by her her husband Mm -hmm. so like what bothers so what bothers me as far as those jokes with Gilmore Girls is that like Gilmore Girls is kind of on the feminist side of um like the feminist side of history and and promotes like embracing feminist role models but then you but then in turn you make a really misogynistic joke about Sylvia Plath yeah no I get it and I think like look look at take Rory's uh, proposed topic right she wants to write about Hillary Clinton which by the way very unoriginal super how did she not know that that was unoriginal like I feel like this is the start this I feel like this is the start of what drives people crazy about Rory is that like she's so shocked that she's led yeah, such she lives a in a bubble life. basically. Yeah. No, I get it. Like, how did she not think 
that everyone was going to be writing about Hillary Clinton. Especially in the 2000s, like, after right. the 90s, when Hillary was, like, everybody's role model. I don't know. So that, to me, yeah, I understand why it drives people crazy. But, like, what I was going to say is take her her original essay topic. So she wants to write about Hillary Clinton. And... um you know, she's talking to Dean about what an inspiration she is. She's a great public speaker. Nobody thought she was going to win New York. No, no, no. So, like, I think in the early 2000s, we're beginning to move towards, like, yay girl power. Yeah. But yet, these typical stereotypes remain. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a weird time for shows that are trying to to cut that. Mm-hmm. Because... On the one hand, they're moving in the right direction with, like, really great role models and building strong female characters like Paris and Rory and even Lorelai being very independent. But then relying on these, like, negative female tropes in other aspects because they think that's what's going to sell comedy-wise. Yeah, I So agree. I think it's a really weird time um, in writing the early yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they just exactly. had the 90s girl power thing. And they're trying to move forward, but they also know what sells, so they're kind of on the fence, and it's just a mess. <laughs> yeah, like they want, like they want, they want, like they want the character of Rory. Character, can't even speak. Character. They want, they want the character of Rory to have role models and be able to have role models like Hillary Clinton and Sylvia Plath. But they also, but like you said, they also know that from a comedic standpoint taking cheap shots at women like Hillary Hillary Clinton and Sylvia Plath will sell yeah. and will make sense in the public lexicon. So they're torn. Exactly. So I think it's more a case of not that they're not, um, not that the writers are not, they're all there for female empowerment. I think they're just torn between what can we write that's, on the one hand, going to be empowering for young girls who are already starting to look up to these characters that we've built, and we want to introduce these characters' role models as well, but also, like, what's going to be funny for the people that are watching it for the quick wit, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's just, they're also very torn, you know? And they're, like, kind of balancing the line, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Um and I think that's true for a lot of shows, even now. Like, look, we've made leaps and bounds in 2020, but even now, every once in a while, like, you'll hear a show and you're like, mm, like, you're better than that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. So it's. I think it's always going to be like that, unfortunately. Like, and not just with feminism. I think, like, with everything that's going on in the world now with LGBTQ rights, I think with what's happening with Black Lives Matter, you're always going to have somebody that, like, takes a quote-unquote cheap shot, if you'll allow me the expression. Yeah. And sometimes we're just like, okay, I get it. Sometimes, And it's not to say, like, let's cancel everything that makes a, like, not good joke. It's just, it's, it's, you can be funny without being offensive. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's some people who just don't understand that, where it's like, you don't have to, you don't have, you don't have to always do what sells to be funny. Yeah. Like, you can, like, you can kind of, you can try to be sub subversive. <laughs> you can yeah. try to be subversive while also, you know, relying on a different trope that might sell that's not that's less offensive. Yeah. And look, like smart humor can come from anywhere. My advice is just don't rely on the cheap shots. Agreed. But I get it. 
So did you find the the difference between costs in U.S. and Canada for university? I did. So the average cost in the U.S. for an, um, an in-state tuition. So if you go to like, let's say you're born in Mississippi and you go to school in Mississippi, it's like $30,000. Jesus. Yeah. In a public, um, public four-year university. That's insane. That's insane to me too. 25 to 30, it says. Wow. And here it's like 5,000. And even international students, I just looked at the McGill one because it was the first one that popped up. International students pay 24,000. Which like, I guess- $10,000 less than what you're paying in this Yeah. So I guess if, I guess if it makes sense to, it would probably like end up costing the same for them to go internationally than to stay home maybe even more because that will have to then you know pay for housing and you know food (laughs) yeah I think sometimes just also for the experience yeah exactly whatever all that to say that it really wasn't a big deal applying here (laughs) it really wasn't (laughs) so and if you're applying to university in the states peace be with you I wish you the best of luck (laughs) Please don't have a nervous breakdown. And please don't take cheap shots at Sylvia Plath. Thanks. Okay. And don't write about Hillary Clinton for the love of God. Even now. Like, that would be, Even like... Now. Oh. Even now. Even now. Even now, it would be worse. Like... Ugh. It would be for sure. Like, come on. Not to say Hillary Clinton is not a good role model, but, like, just pick something a little more original. Yeah. Also, can I just say, I know we're, like, way off topic now, but I just finished um, a novel about Hillary Clinton. Oh, yes. So um, it's the it's like a novelized version of her life, but it's, it's a what-if situation. So the story goes in real life that Bill Clinton proposed to Hillary Clinton three times, and the first two times she said no, and the third time she said yes. And this, this novel, this author takes a look at what if she had said no all three times and didn't marry Bill Clinton. Okay. Like, what would her life be like? just have to say it's fascinating <laughs> um obviously it's a novel so like you can't take anything seriously but i mean i can totally see all of it <laughs> yeah like i can totally see it it's such a unique approach um it's a little weird when you're thinking about the former president of the united states thrusting because uh. that happens but okay. I can totally see everything. Very unique perspective. Don't know how the senator, the secretary of state feels about it, Secretary Clinton. But um, it's very interesting. I'm guessing she would have had to given her approval for it to be published, I right? I don't know. Like, there was a whole discussion on Goodreads. It was like, a lot of people were like me. They felt uncomfortable reading about this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing the author did also a really um, did a really thorough job in doing research and reading Hillary Clinton's other books as well because I feel like she captures her tone perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you're interested at all, you can give that a read. It's by um, Curtis Sittenfeld, and it's called Rodham, which is Hillary Clinton's maiden name. I have it on my list. I'm not sure if I'll ever get to it, but it it does interest me. Story of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it was really really interesting, I have to say. 
So, uh, shall we talk about how much of a rock enthusiast Lane is in this episode? Okay, Lane, sweetheart, edit. (laughs) I have to make cuts. I'm going to have to turn up the Ramones, but I have to make cuts. Oh, my God. Alphabetically, (laughs) and also listed every fucking bag. I feel like that would be me, though. Like, I feel like if it was me in her shoes, I'd be the exact same way. Oh, my God. It's actually really funny, though. She's like, I already made cuts, like, ACDC, because it's a given. <laughs> I think it's cute. Like, I feel like it, I feel like it's really, it's cute and lovable in this, in this, um, in this scenario, how much, how much she loves and cares for rock and roll. I was about to say, like, I think it's really great that she's finally finding what she's passionate about. Yeah. And she finally has like-minded people to talk um, to talk to about this stuff, you yeah. know? Because it's also the first appearance of Dave Rogalski. I That was the last thing I wrote in my notebook for this episode. Yeah. So first appearance of Dave Rogalski. Do you remember Dave Rogalski's real name, by the way? In real life? Yeah. The actor. I meant. Isn't it Adam Brody? Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally off the top of my head, so... So, um, yeah, no, it's it's the first appearance of him, and, like, we're finally, I feel like it's great because we're finally getting some Lane story that we've been craving. So, like, on the one hand, I'm very happy that Lane finally gets a real storyline in season three, and then mm-hmm. in, and then it continues in the, in the other seasons. Right. Um... I was gonna save I was gonna save this for future for a future episode because obviously Dave Rogowski is a is um a main presence in season three. Right. Um I'm not sure if this is gonna be an unpopular opinion, but as we've discussed more and more as we both rewatch Gilmore Girls, we have newfound thoughts and opinions on things we had we hadn't previously considered. Of course. And my take is I don't like Dave Rogowski. Okay. I don't know, like, I don't hate him. I just don't like him. Like, he's, the more I watch it, the more, he, the more like, he, his character just doesn't work. Listen, it happens. <laughs> like, and I think it's because the band and Lane's storyline takes us, takes such a different turn from season four onwards. Yeah, it could be it. Because, I don't know, in season three, like, Dave Rogowski with, with Zach and Brian just, just doesn't work. I'm like, this, what is this? It, it felt like there was, like, throwing... They were, like, throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what stuck. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I have to rewatch season three, I think. Because I know the general consensus is that um, the character was written out because Adam Brody left to star on the OC. Mm-hmm. But, like, is that really the full story? Or, would like, would Dave Rogalski have stuck around even if the OC, even if he hadn't gotten cast on the OC? Well, I don't think so because... Um, I think regardless of who it was, who was cast, what the what the storyline was, I think um, this is me speculating, by the way. But I think they were always going to stick with the story of Lane was going to that evangelical college, and her boyfriend was always going to be someone who left. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it was always part of the story, no matter who the character was. That Lane was Lane was too. Not too small town, but you know, like always controlled by her mother, who wanted her to do a certain thing and be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And until they had that falling out, that's the way it was gonna be. Anyways, yeah. that's the impression that I get. I I'm, I could obviously be wrong, um, but yeah. You know. No, I agree because I think 
I think even like even if Adam Brody hadn't gotten cast on the OC, I don't think Dave Rogowski would have been around for that much longer. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think they have cute moments. They do, and I don't hate the character. I just think that like it doesn't work long term. Yeah. No, I understand. And the more I watch it, the more I'm like, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's let's wait a little bit. So before we conclude this week's episode, should we dive into um, the alumni family? Uh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I don't know how you feel, but to me, uh, this family feels incestuous. Yeah, this this family was um, creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> the brother and sister bouncing into the room together. Like. That was fucking creepy. It's creepy. And it's also weird how they, they literally act like their eldest daughter is dead because she didn't go to an Ivy League college. Uh, that to me was the most like when Lorelai asked, she's like, oh, you have another daughter? Oh, um, um, she's following her own path. Like, uh, what? And the girl even says it when Roy sees her in her room. She's like, oh, they made me seem like I was in an alley with a needle sticking out of my arm. Because they, they, might, as, should, they, might, they might as well have said that. Right? Like, oh, it's, so, it's so, it's so, it's so dysfunctional. It's, um, it's not great. The way they make it, the, the way they portray their daughter. It's like. like it's really sad, first of all. It is really sad, number one. Number two, it's like they're it's like they're saying I kind of felt for Ror- for Lorelai in this situation. Mm-hmm. Because they're also doing that quiz thing, you know? Which like I get in certain households, but what I wouldn't do that around around like guests. And I also think they were like trying to show off because he's a Harvard alumnus and like Yeah. They're like quizzing Rory too. I get it. But like, how do you think Lorelai feels. <laughs> I'd be so like embarrassed. Like I'd be embarrassed. No, I think Lorelai feels after you've just said like she's doing her own thing. She's on her own path. Like blah blah blah. And then like you're quizzing her. She doesn't know anything, and you make it seem like she's the dumbest person in the world just because she didn't go to college. Like come on. Yeah. I don't know. It's it not, was. It was weird. not like a healthy. I don't think it's like a healthy situation. No, no, they were weird. They were fucking weird. Um, didn't like it, didn't like it at all. <laughs> um, at least it eased a little bit of Rory's anxiety. Yeah, and I, but, like, it's weird, it's weird that you have to go and see how dysfunctional someone else is to feel better about your own situation. Yeah, no, I, I really like the fact that, um, after she spoke with the other daughter, she, like, hugged her mom. Yeah. Because it's true, her mom, her mom, she was, she's, she's right. Her mom would love her no matter what, you know what I mean? Like, um, she doesn't have to go to college, I get it. But what I'm, it's just, it's so sad the way some people put so much pressure on their children. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. (laughs) If at all possible, just, you know, maybe just gently push your children if they need it. If not, kind of just read the room. Yeah, like college is not for everyone. And I would argue um, that um, at least in Canada, I don't know what the situation is in other countries, but at least in Canada, we have too many people with um, bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and PhDs and not enough jobs for them because 
we've kind of instilled this thing in our kids that you have to go to university to be successful. Yeah. And we're lacking tradespeople. Oh, for sure. Because we tend to look down on trades and that is not at all the case. (laughs) Um, Like uh, trades are important in society. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like these jobs are essential. (laughs) And I feel like it's only like elitist families that are like, Oh, a trade school. What is that? Like, yeah. Well, you could never picture Rory Gilmore saying I'm going to trade school. (laughs) You know what I mean? And Richard would like pop a cap up her ass. They that's that's an understatement. They'd be like, almost almost like when Emily says, "What does she say about um the bus? Oh, drug dealers take the bus." Yeah, well, that's a, that's an Emily thing, I think. But <laughs> it's just it's it's at least in 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 Canada. I know like we're lacking tradespeople, and I never want somebody to feel like they're not important just because they went to trade school. That's that, that that's like the furthest the furthest from the truth. Like before, like when I graduated university and I didn't know what to do, I was honestly considering going to trade school. And my mom <laughs> never made me feel like it was bad. Like it was just it, it, we need trade people, okay? Yeah, we do. Don't make it seem like your daughter's dead because she went to a trade school. That's just it's just very like gross and unhealthy. Like you know what? You just deal with your own dysfunctional, sad family on your own. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that that whole thing was fucking weird. Matching sweaters, showering together. No, oh, God. Lorelai says, but whatever. Um, She's not wrong. Yeah, well, I don't know. It looked like it was. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is Dean asking Rory what happens when she goes to college. It's like blindsiding her. Number one, it's blindsiding her. I think it's a valid conversation to have. But, but like not out of the blue. Not out of the blue, number one. And number two, not with such a resentful tone, sir. He's such a dick. Like, I'm going to junior college. Oh, great. We're going to see each other on weekends when you're doing homework? Oh, great. Like, why do you resent her for being smart? (laughs) You know, I'm starting to think we could do a whole, like, spinoff podcast, but what's wrong with Dean? Yeah. And like, just dive into the just dive into the psychology of what's wrong with Dean. No, honestly, this this scene really pissed me off because he's just it. it, it, it I don't have words. I'm sorry. <laughs> like he's making her feel bad. It's the same energy as in the beginning of season two when he's like, I could care less about Harvard. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's just it's. He's making her feel bad for wanting to go to college. Do you guys not see Yeah. how this is a problematic relationship? They don't, and I don't even I think it's worth it. I understand being upset. Like, I understand, upset. I understand, like, thinking of the inevitable that you might break up. I get it. But talking about how, like, she's trying, she's giving you all these solutions about, no, we're going to see each other on weekends. Like, don't worry, train. Like, what about you coming to junior college and, you know, like, she's trying to figure out solutions and he's like, well, no, no, no. Like, oh. I know. I can't can't do it. It's very aggravating because he makes her feel bad about her dreams and her, like, her. About everything. Like, even though, like, that, I think that's what, that's what gets lost 
when people talk about why they why they like Dean is because it's like, oh well, he did this for her and he did that and blah blah blah, and it's like yes, yes, and yes. But a lot of those things he did begrudgingly. A lot of those things he did because he felt he had to because oh, he's the boyfriend. And yeah. if but if we look at like more common occurrences like this, he's like he makes her feel bad and, and he says like, I could ask about Harvard or. Well, uh, I'm going to junior college. And, oh, well, you suck. And but you like, know when he said that? When he said, I'm going to junior college. You know I'm going to junior college. Like, it made it seem like he was upset with her for him, for his choice of going to junior college. And, like, what, she can't have a bigger dream because you're going to junior college? What's that quote? I don't, I don't remember who said it. But it, there's a quote that goes, never underestimate a man's, like, the uh, what is it? Never underestimate the ability for a man to make he, you feel Everything bad for his mistakes. It. Yeah, for sure. Um, wait, I'm going to Google it because I know what quote you're talking about and it's going to drive me nuts. Yeah, I think it's never underestimate a man's ability to make you feel bad for his mistakes. Anyways, um... It's just, it's really frustrating to keep watching this relationship when you're like, yo, you're both not getting anything out of this. Dean, if she makes you feel like shit for her life choices, you should break up. Rory, if he's making you feel like you, like you shouldn't be doing all these, these dreams that you've had since you were a child, you should break up. And what's the solution in the end? Let's just go to Luke's and not talk about this. We have time. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it's never underestimate a man's ability to make you feel guilty for his mistake. I was close. Yeah. And who said and it? It's so true. Like. Is I don't remember. Is, is there is there like someone who said that, or just like a, an internet quote? It says Rihanna Twitter. Ah. Well. <laughs> Wise. Long live Rihanna. Yeah. So um, I'm over it. And can I tell you what else I'm over? What? His hair, which keeps getting worse. Um, but <laughs> once again, buckle up because, uh, he, his entire appearance is just a big fat no for me in season four. Yeah. But season three is where his hair, he starts growing it up and it's doing that little flippy thing on his ears. Uh huh. Oh, mama mia. But it gets even worse in season four. So I just... know you, you wouldn't think it's possible, but it is friends. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to discuss from episode three? No, I think I'm good. You? Uh, I think we've reached the end of our talking points. Shockingly. Shockingly. Do you ever think we could run out of talking points when we get going about Gilmore Girls? God, never. Because guess what? We have so much more to go. So much. And I'm very excited for season three's episodes. I have so much to say. Yes. And before I forget, I want to give a shout out to one of our friends from social media uh whose name is emily she is always very supportive of our podcast every single time we uh post something announcing a date or uh you know something something important is happening she she always shares our post and tells tells her followers to listen which is uh very nice so uh we love you forever emily emily's the best honestly she really is love you so where can they follow us they can follow us on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. And on and Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. And where can they email us? Gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> As you know, we love email because... We really do. We're just like that. So 
if you want to email us, feel free. Feel free. We will always respond yes. and give you guys a shout out. And um, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.